You're listening to Bodyful, a podcast that explores the wonder and complexities of living in this human form and how we can engage in an ongoing practice of bodyfulness to become more fully at home in ourselves and in the interconnected web of Gaia, the living earth. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and I'm the founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing, where we support folks in their growth and healing work with somatic psychotherapy and embodiment practices. We hear all the time about the importance of being mindful, and it's time to invite our bodies to the party. Welcome to Bodyful. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Bodyful. I am so excited to be with you here today, and I'm feeling extra energized as I'm recording the intro for this episode and about to record for another episode coming out later this month. Um, I am piloting a new scheduling experiment for myself inspired by my friend tour, Jenny Blake. She's calling it Made by Mondays and trying to create all the content that she needs for the week by end of day Monday to just kind of eat the the big frog, so to speak, the not very non-vegan metaphor, but you get the point, um, to do the big things that tend to fall between the cracks if we're just responding to urgent stuff. So I'm excited for that. I'm calling mine Lead, Create, Learn or LCL days once a week where I'm scheduling no meetings, no clients, and just spending the time doing things like creating this podcast for you and deepening my clinical skills with my learning time and doing some higher level leadership and visioning for the Gaia Center. Also, I just have to shout out that Jenny Blake is coming out with her new book called Free Time. So if you're in the business, entrepreneurship, leadership space, anything like that, um, it is so, so good. The book releases to the public in late March, and you can currently get a sneak preview, well, really the entire audiobook, um, as a pre-order bonus if you go to itsfreetime.com slash book. Um, this is not at all a paid announcement. I just love Jenny and her work so much. And given the focus of this podcast, she may not be coming on as a guest anytime soon, but you can catch Jenny's interview on my previous podcast, What's the Effing Point? I will link to that in the show notes. And definitely check out the book if that sounds interesting to you. I will be heading to New York in late March for the book launch party, which I'm super excited about. Um, So anyway, that's one of the things that I'm up to recently and piloting. And um, as a part of my ongoing tweaking, turning the dials, trying to figure out what works best, I also a couple of weeks ago quit Instagram on my own accounts. Um, I am still collaborating some on the Gaia Center account, which is at the Gaia Center. But aside from creating some posts, um, that account is mostly managed by our wonderful therapist, Colleen Werner, who you can follow also at Colleen M. Werner. And uh, I'll tell you that I 
don't have any regrets of leaving the platform almost um, entirely. I did not permanently delete the account because I sort of want it to be there as like a landing page pointing people to where they can find me now. But I did sort of try to burn the ships by unfollowing everybody. And apparently they think that you're like hacking someone's account if you try to unfollow too many people at once. So eventually I just gave up and I think I'm still following like a hundred and something people just because I didn't want to keep messing with doing it in batches. But anyway, for me personally, the internal pressure to use Instagram strategically for my personal brand just stopped feeling good. And the benefits that I got from it on the personal side are things I would just rather get in other ways and reclaim the time and attention spent scrolling. So, so far, so good with that. And I think for me personally, I knew that I had to do it in sort of like a big sweeping way for it to stick. Um, so, and you know, if I want to ever like log in and check out what any of the Peloton instructors are doing, yes, those are like my celebrity people that I follow. <laughs> um, I can always do that when I'm logged into the Gaia Center account and not actually follow them. So, uh, all of the ways that we try to adjust, um, based on what's working and what's not working, that is um, so much of personal development and just adjusting to a constantly changing course in life. So since I do still love creating content, uh, written content, in addition to this podcast, I started a Substack blog that you can follow along with, uh, Valerie K. Martin, that's just the letter K, dot substack.com. And I also, of course, recommend signing up for our monthly Gaia Center newsletter at bit.ly slash Gaia Center News. Ironically, today's guest is one of those Instagram accounts that I always enjoyed because she just delivers so much legitimate value and truth. Her name is Emily Murray. She is a registered dietitian and the founder of Murray Nutrition here in Nashville. And make sure to check out her website at murraynutritionco.com. And she also has a special program coming up soon called Eating to Thrive. It is a eight-week nutrition coaching group for women in disordered eating recovery. It'll be online, available to people anywhere starting February 28th, 2022. And if you're listening to this from the future, still check out Emily's website to see what programs or services they are offering now. Let me tell you a little bit more about Emily Murray, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Emily is a non-diet, health-at-every-size-aligned registered dietitian and certified eating disorder specialist through the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, or IADEP. Emily offers a warm and direct therapeutic presence aiming to support her clients through radical honesty, practical skill building, and enduring hope. After completing her dietetic internship at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, Emily worked in a variety of practice settings and levels of care for eating disorders, including the Renfrew Center in Nashville. She has since founded her own practice group, Marie Nutrition, and currently serves as a board member on the Nashville IADEP chapter. In her free time, Emily enjoys arts and crafts, listening to music, nature walks, and spending time with her husband and pup, Theo. To learn more about the services Emily and her team offer, head to murraynutritionco.com and follow along with Emily's Instagram at murraynutrition. Let's get into the conversation with Emily Murray.
Emily, thank you so much for being with me here bright and early. Thank you so much for having me. I know I moved this one time and I'm so happy to be with you. Yeah, me too. So before we jump into the conversation, let's take a moment to kind of slow down, tune in, drop in. So for folks listening, um, just be safe. However, you're, uh, joining us in this practice. So maybe that's eyes closed or soft gaze, just taking a moment to settle. And just notice the natural rhythm of your breath. Notice if there's anything, any places in your body that you're gripping, even sort of unconsciously see what it might be like to invite those to release a little bit. And knowing that in this moment, you only have to be here. There's all these things that are pulling on our attention, our responsibilities, and all of those exist in the future. That's great. For now, you only have to be here. And just taking a moment to notice whatever is emerging for you today, thoughts, feelings, sensations. And one more big full breath. coming back into the space you're in. And Emily, what did you notice this morning? What did I notice? I love that question. So you said, <laughs> release your grip. I was gripping my wrist <laughs> like this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing that for? Um, it's so interesting what our bodies reveal to us. It is. And I don't always add that cue, but I added that because I noticed I was like gripping my uh, shins. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, oh, I can just let that go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Bodies totally. are interesting. Mm -hmm. So speaking of bodies being interesting, what brought you into the field of nutrition and dietetics? Wow. What a big question. So what brought me into the field? Um, I think what initially brought me into the field was I was having a pretty hard time with IBS symptoms, mm. um, which are not, you know, super fun to experience. So if your listeners haven't um, heard of this, IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. It's you know, can be connected, you know, with food, mind, body, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's what initially um, brought me into the field um, was wanting to learn more about food and also that gut brain connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can you tell the listeners a little bit more about just like what a registered dietitian is and does. And, and I think that there's, you know, multiple pieces of that, of like, 
is it the same as a nutritionist? And also like, why work with a dietitian? Because I know all of this and, or I might can talk to my therapist about that. So wherever you want to start with that, let's dive into that. What an RD does and why would you work with one? Totally. So, um, that is a really common question, dietitian or nutritionist. And so mm-hmm. a nutritionist really is not a protected title necessarily. So like if you go to school and, ha- and get a bachelor's degree in nutrition, you can call yourself a nutritionist. If you're a macro coach, you can call yourself a nutritionist. If you like nutrition, you can call yourself a nutritionist. So <laughs> it is a common term, um, but really the registered dietitian means that you've gone to school and done um, your undergraduate degree. You've done, now I believe you have to have a master's degree. I didn't have to have that. And then you also have to complete supervised practice through dietetic internship and residency. And then you have to take a test and be licensed. So there's a lot of different hoops to jump through for that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of the difference there. And then, yeah, what a dietitian does that really depends on the dietitian. Um, And so I primarily, you know, I, I work a lot with people with eating disorders and disordered eating. And so absolutely there is a lot of nutrition education about, you know, different foods for our bodies and how they work together and how they can be beneficial and all this stuff. Um, but it's also a lot about our relationship with food. It's like Mm -hmm. nutrition therapy, right? So it's a lot of some of the, um, you know, behavioral therapy techniques, like cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, act mindfulness, you know, all of those sorts of things integrated into helping a person heal their relationship with food. And there is some overlap, you know, Mm -hmm. with therapists, but I think it can be really cool to have a therapist and a dietitian supporting you in something like healing your relationship with food, because that's a really big task. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that I will often say to my therapy clients is like, you know, I get that you, especially with folks with, um, any kind of disordered eating, like, yeah, you have an immense amount of nutritional knowledge. Um, now in some cases, maybe a lot of what they know is accurate in some cases, maybe not because there's a lot of conflicting information out there. Um, but regardless of how much they know and that they can, you know, have memorized the amount of calories and, you know, 500 foods, um, the, the logistical support that a dietitian can provide is a big part of like what I don't do, you know? So it's like, there's so much of like, um, whether a person actually needs a meal plan in the beginning or whatever those pieces are of like, Hey, how do I deal with the fact that when I eat these foods, they do trigger GI distress, but also when, if I don't eat those foods, I feel like I'm being restricted. Like there's all those pieces that, you know, kind of like you're saying that there's, there's some of the fair therapeutic elements, like the, the psychological, emotional pieces that you'll touch on, but you kind of know where your end point is with those. And there's some of the logistical and nutritional points that I can touch on, but I also have an end point with those. And that is why that those two like fit together so nicely. Um, but it's so, so beneficial to work with a dietitian who actually gets eating disorders, because if you don't, a, you might end up with someone who (laughs) makes it worse. Um, or B, you just like, 
they can only really help with the logistical side and they don't understand all the things that are going into the psychological, emotional piece of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think my clients kind of come in with a couple different things. There's just like, you know, sometimes there's a lack of knowledge or total distortion of thoughts, you know, and beliefs mm-hmm. around food, you know, and, or they have all of the knowledge, but there's a huge amount of fear, you know, or there's, yeah. there's a amount of resistance and, um, it's all common. Right. And saying that like, oh, I have all this knowledge, so I don't need a dietitian is kind of like me saying, I have all this knowledge about like mental health. So why would I ever need a therapist? Like that way. Totally. Um, Totally. Yeah. So, you know, with talking about all of the, um, information out there, some of which is distorted or misinformation, um, and can just further fuel disordered stuff going on. I, I wanted to just sort of open the door into like looking at how normalized disordered eating is in our culture and anything that you want to say about that, because I'm sure that so much of what you do with your clients is like undoing these things that they're learning from other places. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really hard because disordered eating is normalized in our culture. You know, there's a pretty big obsession with thinness and looking a certain way there's fat phobia and anti-fat bias and wellness culture and diet culture and a lot of my clients like they're only hearing some of these messages from like myself and their therapist Mm -hmm. and so it can be confusing like they come to session with me and I'm like hey what are you know what's going on like why do we you know whatever um this doesn't seem super healthy but then they're going out and their mom or dad or sister or brother or friend or cousin are doing the things that I'm kind of pointing out as problematic in their own life. And that can be really, really challenging for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when we try to figure out like, what is the realistic alternative when society and media and people in our lives are coming at us from every angle with this, like, well, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I think you should be doing with your eating. Um, and we're hearing that from every angle. And then we're trying to figure out well, what's actually right for me. Um, I know that you take a, an approach that is really aligned with intuitive eating. Um, and you also mentioned embodied eating and, So I will also point folks to episode 11 with, um, non-diet trainer, Barb Puzinovova. We talk about some of these topics, but I would love to hear your sort of take on like, um, just explaining a little bit about intuitive eating or embodied eating. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely use, you know, both of those frameworks and I was having a conversation with you know, a client the other day that I think goes along well with this, just about the idea of like, kind of what we just discussed, like so-and-so goes on a run every day or so-and-so eats X, Y, Z, or, you know, and it's like, it can be so easy to look around and be like, what is everyone else doing? Right. And that's so normal. And it's, you know, you know, evolutionary and biologically like appropriate, you know, to scan our environment and to try to fit in. But at the end of the day, I think so many of us are making decisions about 
food, exercise, and body based off of what everyone else is doing versus what our body is saying. Mm -hmm. So I really try to encourage and teach my clients how to tune into what their body is communicating to them. So that is through, you know, embodiment and enhancing um, the likelihood for embodiment to happen, you know, through mind, mindful self-care, through regularly nourishing their bodies, um, and through intuitive eating, which is really all about interoceptive awareness, mm-hmm. um, which is the ability to perceive um, physical sensations within our bodies. And intuitive eating kind of, I know there's 10 principles and a lot of people have heard of those on Instagram and things like that. So it's a non-diet framework and there's 10 principles of intuitive eating, but the authors who are registered dietitians really go into this idea of like, there are things that help us attune with our bodies and there are things that totally disrupt our body Mm -hmm. cues, right? And so that's where some of that interoception ties in. And so that blends really well with embodiment. And so much of my work with clients is really practicing like putting on the earmuffs and trying to tune out what everyone else is doing and getting into our bodies and saying what is my body communicating to me where is it screaming where is it where is it talking where is it whispering like and how can we try to listen and respond to that in a way that's going to benefit us long term yeah and we know that both um eating disorders and trauma can really rupture that interoception, um, that awareness of like the subtle sensations and cues going on in the body, because, you know, our, our nervous system is out of whack and we are often kind of our internal smoke detector is miscalibrated. And so either we're noticing like every little thing that feels painful and we're like, no, I can't feel hungry. I must, you know, or I can't feel this emotion. I have to like numb it with food or, you know, vice versa. Um, so, and it's also kind of chicken and egg too, because I think there's also like whatever happens, whether it's with trauma attachment, just, you know, life stuff or other illnesses, other experiences that might impact interoception that could lead to disordered eating. Cause it's like, oh, I just don't even know what, I don't have this attunement to what these cues are. So Mm -hmm. I just have to follow these sort of rules that I'm given. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's a really, that's kind of where like recovery is such a gift because not only do you heal your, your relationship with food, but you get to like know your body better than probably even before you had any kind of disordered eating going on. Totally. Yeah. I fully agree with that. Mm. Um, I was also thinking as you were saying about reminding me of an episode of um, Glennon Doyle's podcast that came out recently with Martha Beck and uh, Martha Beck was talking about um, how she encourages people to learn how to come to our senses rather come to, rather than coming to consensus. So like coming to our senses literally of like what's going on in my in my experience right now what are my, my senses and my body telling me versus coming to consensus? What is society and culture? And like, what is the pressure that I feel like I should be doing, thinking, feeling, et cetera. I was like, yes, I love that. (laughs) So I'll put that in the show notes for anyone who wants to listen to that one. Uh, I love that. Um, 
And is there any, like, what is the biggest pushback that you tend to hear from your clients around? Like when you're trying to introduce this idea of intuitive eating or embodied eating, um, and maybe they've been sort of stuck in kind of diet culture for years, like what is their, what are the biggest fears or pushbacks? So I think hands down the biggest thing, well, I think there's two, I think fear of weight gain is really big. Um, regardless of what body's saying, I don't want to gain weight. Right. And then the other one is I don't want to eat when I'm not hungry. Mm -hmm. Um, and the problem with that is that there is, there's a misconception about what hunger always should feel like, you know, I should always feel grumblings in my tummy in order to eat. And there's just lack of education on like, Hey, there are things that can mask your hunger, like trauma, like skipping meals, like stress, like your medication, you know, there are so many things that can mask hunger. And so I think people really, really have a hard time, um, in the beginning eating when they're not, when their stomach's not growling. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a good point. And that is like, it's, it's so hard because on one hand we are like, listen to your body. And then on the other hand, we're like, uh, well, your body may not be there yet. Right. And so that's why that's another reason that I really stress the, the value of working with a dietitian a lot of times is that, you know, while things are recalibrating internally and you can't necessarily just go by what those cues are, whether it's because literally, you know, your, your hunger and satiety cues are like, they, they're, they are recalibrating and, or there's disordered thoughts that are also kind of battling for what should I be doing here? So having that like external roadmap of, well, my dietitian has, has like expertise in this and based on my unique situation, like this is kind of what they recommend that I should be eating. So I am just going to follow the map right now and give my body that time to heal and recalibrate. Um, so that hopefully then it can become more intuitive, but in the beginning it often, we need that roadmap. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It really is like, um, like a cast to heal a broken arm. You know, mm. I love that analogy. It's mm-hmm. it's such a good safety net. And I love that, you know, you brought it back to like, you know, just like the collabor- the collaborative piece because yeah, like if you have a client who's like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm not eating because I'm always so nauseous. It's like, okay, like, is there something GI going on? Are they yeah. pregnant? Are they, do they, you know, like what's going on? Or is it, they're not, they're under eating and that's mm-hmm. making them feel really nauseous. And so- Yeah. I think it's really important to always, you know, collaborate with doctor, nurse practitioner, dietitian, therapist, you know, to really get a holistic picture if you're struggling, you know, with food at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, there's one piece I wanted to bring up and, and get sort of your take on. So I don't know if you happen to see this. We here in Nashville, we have um, a couple of wonderful eating disorder professional communities. One of them renewed that there's a list serve that people will share things on periodically. And, and somebody shared an article that came out a couple of weeks ago or last week in the Washington post um, that was talking about 
the sort of pros and cons, the, the, the good stuff and the potential downsides of, of sharing about eating disorder recovery on social media. And Mm -hmm. I actually just took a look at it this morning thinking we might get into that because I also know that you have a really big social media presence and you're doing a lot of like really powerful, helpful sharing in that way, but also you have your professional training and you sort of know, you know, what kinds of things are helpful to share, what might be like, you know, things that, that people don't need to hear about on the internet. Um, and so it was interesting. It kind of, the, the author does talk with some experts in the field and, and give some tips on like, okay, if you are like someone who's in recovery or, or who's struggling with disordered eating, like here are maybe some suggestions on how to engage on social media in a way that is going to be more healthy or helpful for you and for everybody seeing it. So those are worth reading, but it's just really interesting. Like she talks about the therapeutic value of online communities, but also most parts of social media don't have all those features. Like there's no moderator, right. And the Instagram comments, um, And she mentioned that there's, you know, a lot of common hashtags that are used for recovery related stuff. And I'm just going to read this little quote and then we can talk about it. Um, She writes that while the contents of those posts vary, they tend to fall into certain predictable categories, images of food, body photos, inspirational quotes, selfies with confessional captions. The impact such content might have is unclear at this point. But it's important to keep in mind that the very conditions that make social media conducive to recovery, its egalitarian egalitarianism, its option for anonymity, its incubation of hyper niche communities also makes it conducive to relapse. So with depending on how things are shared and received, et cetera. So I would just love to hear as someone who's really active in the recovery community to some in some ways on Instagram, um, any thoughts you have around that? I have so many thoughts. I don't even know <laughs> Unleash on yeah. us, Emily. <laughs> um, it's kind of weird, you know, because yeah. I I have self-disclosed on my, um, you know, so on the my Instagram yeah. and social media platform about, you know, my own, you know, history of an eating disorder and there are there are professionals that disagree with that you know mm-hmm. like there are professionals that don't think that that's you know the time and place and they don't think that's appropriate and I don't necessarily strongly you know disagree with them one way or another I think it's, yeah I think it's really it depends cool. right yeah and I think it depends and and I think um and it's like I'm a professional too right and there's kind yeah. of feelings about professionals being on Instagram mm-hmm. and that's kind of new and so mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really tricky. I think the hardest part about recovery communities on Instagram is that there's very little nuance. Mm. Like even if you try to say like I'm trying to be nuanced or don't take this post, <laughs> you know, like please know this isn't all the nuance. And then but you know, people's brains can kind of just, you know, their eating disorder, disordered eating thoughts or their perfectionism or black and white making or whatever, they can kind of take something and run with it. And so that's where I think it can be harmful, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it can be helpful to just see a motivational, you know, or inspirational sure. post, right? And so I think it really comes down to, you know, individual responsibility in terms of time spent on Instagram, mm-hmm. and who you're following and who you're engaging with. 
because you know you're there's just so many things that come up like it would be hard I feel to have an eating disorder disorder eating and not be triggered by something at some point you know and so I think just being mindful of that like oh if I engage here something might come up right and on one hand obviously you know we're not saying that people should try to avoid all triggers all the time. Like that would be completely impossible. Mm -hmm. And I think can almost create like a fragility of like, Oh, I can't see that. I can't see that. Like, like stuff that you're just going to see being in the world. Right. But then there's things that we can filter and we can choose what we're seeing and what we're exposing ourselves to on a regular basis. Um, and so like, that's the kind of cleanse that I can get behind is, do you need to go through your feed and like, look at like, how am I actually feeling when I look at this stuff? And like you said, it's probably not black and white. Like, even if people are following sort of recovery oriented stuff, there might be some of that, that you're like, yeah, I feel good pretty much every time I see this, um, this person's post or this, this feed, there might be others that you're like, uh, like I like some of what they share, but some of it actually like kind of feels unhelpful for me. And so it's better that I just unfollow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's so hard with eating disorders specifically is that eating disorders can get so comparison-y and so Mm -hmm. competitive, like, oh, she's, she's doing well in recovery, but like, of course she is. She's really pretty, you know, or she's Mm -hmm. in this body or whatever, or, oh, they're doing this, but you know, and it's like, you can just get so sucked into that. And that's where I think we, you know, we just have to be careful and that's not anyone's like fault, right? Like everyone recovers into different bodies and looks different. And I think that's something, you know, that, that is a big part in recovery is accepting that. But I think also, yeah, just what you said, being mindful of how we feel, um, and what our mood is and all of that stuff when we're spending time on that platform. Mm-hmm. And I do like some of the like more fresh takes on certain things. Like for instance, we, we know that before and after pictures, even if they're intended to be like motivational of like, Oh, look how I, how I looked when I was in my eating disorder. And now look, I'm glowing and healthy now. Like yeah. that, that we know that that can be triggering for a lot of people. So like, maybe don't. Um, but the, <laughs> I love the side-by-side pictures where it's like, you know, somebody's wearing the same outfit and they're like, just posture is like very normal and natural in one and then very posed in the next one. And they're like, these photos were taken one minute apart. Like (laughs) this is the same body. And that is such a good reminder because of course, on a platform like that, we're usually seeing photos that are intentionally posed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to, to have that reminder of like, no, if I'm just sitting here in my chair, my body doesn't look like that. Like that's the same body. It's just, this is posed, you know, and it's normal to have that, um, your body doing these things when you're not intentionally posing. Yeah. I think that can be really, really helpful, you know, for people and, and really, really important just to see like, oh, not everything I see on social media is accurate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Shocking. 
hot take. <laughs> um, so I would love for you to talk a little bit about, um, embodiment versus hustle culture, because I know that's something that you're also passionate about and as a business owner, and, um, it can be very easy to get sucked into that too. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm kind of on my own journey of figuring all of this out, but I think like, you know, being a business owner and, you know, just hustle culture in general is so much like diet culture, right? Like we look mm -hmm. at all of these external things, like for diet culture, it's like how many calories, how many sugar, organic, non-organic, blah, 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 you know, all of those mm -hmm. different things. And then, you know, in the business world, it's like, what's your business look like? How many clients are you seeing? How much money are you making? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like mm -hmm. crazy, right? It's all of these external kind of factors. Um, and we can get really in our heads about it, you know? And I think, I think just like in recovery from an eating disorder and how that really requires tuning into self and embodiment, I think the same thing, you know, goes for hustle culture, whether it comes to school whether it comes to um, work, whether it comes to family, like whatever it is, really just kind of knowing that that's there and giving ourselves permission to opt out. And again, take time and space to tune back into what our bodies are communicating to us, you know, in terms of our energy levels, our anxiety, our, you know, whatever that is that can typically be kind of a check engine light for you. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just passionate about, you know, doing that versus not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love that, that reminder of the check engine light, like, wouldn't it be great to pay attention to those indicators before you're like on the side of the road run down and you're like, well, now I just have to take two weeks off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like with food, like so many people want to wait to eat until they're empty, right? Like mm. last minute headache about to pass out. And it's like, you can do that or you can eat kind of at the first subtle sign of hunger. And then you'll probably feel pretty good. You know, I think it's being proactive with our boundaries, with our self-care, with our checking in with ourselves so that we don't get to, yeah, exactly what yeah. you said. Yeah. And it, again, it's so nuanced because, um, there's also like, I'm sure this has come up with some of your clients. And this was my experience too, that like, once I got past like the, okay, I'm, I'm actually eating now. Um, but I was, I was, this feels kind of maybe dramatic to use this word, but I think it's true. It felt so traumatic to have been so deprived for so long that I was almost like, I didn't want to see a hint of hunger. I didn't yeah. want it at all. Right. I was like, no, never again. And so it's like, I did, I had to redevelop the tolerance for a little bit of hunger. Right. Um, and like you said, it's like, you know, that doesn't mean that wait till you're on E to eat, but it's also okay. As you're rebuilding that maybe, you know, in the beginning, I think I had to go through that phase. Um, right. and so, you know, knowing that all of that is normal, but yeah, like paying attention to what's going on and, and responding to whatever the need is before things get dire. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so true. I mean, that is so normal about 
the hunger thing. I personally experienced that too. Mm -hmm. A lot of my clients do. It is traumatic. Um, Starvation, semi-starvation, restricting Mm -hmm. dieting, it's traumatic for our bodies. And it really takes time for our bodies to be able to trust feelings of hunger, right? It's really Mm -hmm. scared. It kicks us into fight or flight mode. And we're like, ah, Um, and it does get easier over time, you know, the more that you, you practice and you widen your window of tolerance and yeah, all of that stuff. So what are some of your personal favorite practices for embodiment or bodyfulness? Yeah. So I really like, um, yoga at my house. So just like yoga with Adrian on yep. YouTube, super fun. I, I really like kind of the relaxation yoga. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what technical like term. restorative and yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, give me child's pose. <laughs> um, I really like getting into nature. Like it really yeah. just reminds me of like how small I am in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of the whole world and how some of the things that I get so in my head about are just really don't matter. Um, mm-hmm. that can really ground me. And then I really like spending time with my dog and just like petting his fur and like really kind of just like being in the moment with him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are kind of the three that that come to mind. And I think laying on the ground too, I think is yes. really grounding for me. That's like one of my favorite coping skills is just like laying on the ground, feeling like the weight of the earth come up and, you know, touch yeah. my body. And I just like love that. Yeah. I mean, like we know that, that any type of grounding is helpful, but I, I totally agree. There's something about completely just like getting, getting horizontal on yeah. the ground. Yeah. Um, and I, I like to do that, especially like, um, prone on the belly is, uh, really, I don't know what it is about it, but it's, it's something very soothing. Um, can you work with clients from anywhere or, cause I know that, you know, there's like licensure stuff, there's coaching stuff. So tell us like what you, who you can work with. Um, and if you can't work with folks from anywhere, how you recommend people find, uh, a dietitian who has similar philosophy. Yeah, that's a really good question. So we are licensed. So we, myself and my associates and my practice, um, we do, we are licensed in, a good deal of states like great I don't know over 20 um nice yeah yeah so that's really convenient and awesome there are states that kind of have specific licensure stuff Mm -hmm. that we're not licensed in um yeah and then there's coaching that is more Mm -hmm. of like you know action oriented skills based you know present focus it's not medical nutrition therapy Mm -hmm. it's not getting a therapeutic diet but you know, that's kind of a whole different realm. We'll do intuitive eating coaching, you know, with mm-hmm. a lot of people or, you know, disordered eating coaching and that's throughout the country. Um, but I do have a lot of people reach out kind of from wherever. And if we can't work with them or if we're not a good fit, um, we always, you know, do give out referrals. So that's, you know, a great place to start. I always recommend typing in like, you know, Depend if you're looking for some, you know, help with disordered eating, you don't even know if you have an eating disorder, go ahead and type in eating disorder therapist because yeah. it's, you know, or eating disorder dietitian yeah. because 
you know, if you don't, you could end up with someone that just doesn't know what they're doing. And then, yeah, like what you said earlier, mm-hmm. might be more harmful than helpful. And, you know, health at every size, you know, is a good mm-hmm. thing to jump in as well. Weight inclusive and that sort of thing. Cool. And you have a coaching program coming up, right? I do. I'm so excited about this. So, um, do you want me to talk about it? Yeah, please. <laughs> okay. So it's called eating to thrive. Um, And it's really inspired by, you know, I think so many people just don't know how to eat, right? And it's really sad and frustrating, you know, for them. And I've been there. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much misinformation, you know, and we're kind of just trekking through, you know, trying to figure things out. We feel bombarded by all, all of the information, what everyone else is doing. And so this program is really to, you know, just help um, participants, you know, who struggle with disordered eating to feel confident and knowing what they need to fuel their bodies, you know, how, when, how often, what that looks like logistically, and then gaining practical tools to cope with the hard stuff that comes up with that. So the emotions, Mm -hmm. the thoughts, the people saying crazy stuff, you know, schedule all of that stuff. So, it's going to be eight weeks long, um, starts soon two twenty-eight. Um, we're going to do so eight weeks of coaching group coaching from seven to eight 30 PM central on Mondays. And then I'm really excited about this. There's going to be an option for an add-on of Voxer with me one-on-one throughout the week. Cool. So that's support through texting and voice. I'm going to be really, you know, intentional about, um, just being able to support folks in their journey. A lot of people don't have people in their corner that have a normal relationship with food. So I'm really excited um, to start. Cool. And if anybody's listening to this from the future and you missed this program, you can still check out Emily's website and, and Instagram to see like what programs are going on now or coming up soon. And so that'll be in the show notes, but tell people where to find you online. Yeah. So they can find me. Um, our website is, um, murraynutritionco.com. And then my Instagram is just Murray nutrition. Yay. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it, that would mean so much to me. For show notes, as well as a transcription of this and previous episodes, head over to www.gaiacenter.co. That's G-A-I-A center.co. You can follow us on Instagram at the Gaia Center and follow me at Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. Look for the link on our website where we'll share about groups and events we're offering locally in Nashville, as well as tips and resources from our therapists that we hope will be valuable and relevant wherever you may be listening from. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.